the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. I'll be joined in a moment by Brad Geiger, and we'll be discussing perhaps the most important hire for the Pac-12 conference since it was formed. After a decade of decline under the leadership of Larry Scott, the Pac-12 has named George Klyavkov as its new commissioner. Brad and I will be taking a look into Klyavkov's resume, what he had to say in his introductory press conference, and what Pac-12 leaders and national pundits have to say about the hire. As always, we appreciate your support of the See You at the Game website and podcast, and look forward to your comments and suggestions. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the podcast at your favorite site so you receive alerts when our off-season podcasts are posted. George Klyavkov was not on anyone's radar when he was introduced as the Pac-12's new commissioner. Considered an outside-of-the-box hire, Klyavkov has his work cut out for him as he tries to restore the Pac-12 to national relevance. Is he up to the task? Let's find out. Okay, we are back. And again at a distance, talking with Brad Geiger from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Hi, Brad. How are you doing? We are doing well down here. The uh, vaccine program proceeds apace. We're actually able to look each other in the eye and shake hands and do all those strange before times things. Yes. <laughs> and now everyone notices that your beard is a little grayer. They didn't know that. <laughs> More than a bit. More than- <laughs> Well, we are going to talk about the news of the month, which is the hiring of the new Pac-12 commissioner, George Klyavkov. If I said that right, I'm going off the Pac-12 press release guide to pronunciation. So we'll go with Klyavkov. And I guess just a 30 seconds of introduction for those that might have been off on vacation somewhere. Klyavkov, since 2018, was the president of the entertainment and sports for MGM Resorts International. It was a live event operation, and he was dealing with corporate sponsorship. Had his picture taken with Tad Boyle and the Buffs. I don't know if you saw that picture when the, yeah. Yeah, the Buffs were playing down at MGM a couple of Decembers ago and won the tournament. He was there posing with Tad Boyle and the boys with their trophy. He was the chief digital officer at NBC Universal, where he led the company's corporate digital strategy in a role that eventually saw him become the interim CEO of Hulu, which, of course, is one of the streaming giants. 
And of course, you can't have a Pac-12 commissioner without some tie into women's sports. He was on the board of governors for the WNDA. He also spent time, had time in his life to become executive vice president of the business for Major League Baseball's advanced media. So quite a varied resume. One thing that is not on the resume is anything having to do with college sports or universities. So the first thought or the first thing after everyone got done Googling him was the idea that nobody, well, first of all, nobody had ever heard of him. Uh, Was that fair to say that uh, everyone's initial reaction is who is this guy? Well, yeah. I mean, to the president's credit, there had not been a lot of leaks. They had not really give us any indication which way they were going. John Wilner, who at least claims he knows everyone who does anything in the Pac-12, was as shocked as the rest of us. I think he got about 45 minutes notice um, based on his Twitter account. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I like this tweet. I don't know. You probably saw it as well that he said, I just heard who it actually is. I'm going to quadruple check this before I say anything because you're not going to believe it. So very much a from left field kind of a hire, at least in terms of resume. Although, while the name was unusual, if you remember Wilner about a month ago, floated the idea of co-commissioners. Yes. One sports person, one media person. In retrospect, it's quite clear that the president's, if not torn, at least we're trying to figure out how to make that work. And my suspicion is that they found out you could either have the top sports guy or you could have the top media guy, but you could not have a top both of those on running the conference for the same reason that there are not ever two bull elk in the same herd. (laughs) (laughs) So it feels like when they went out looking for that co-commissioner, they found Klyovkov and decided that they were going to make that call. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. I don't know of anybody who had speculated he was going to be the person. Yeah, no one shortlist. The other conferences, and you know, many pundits were quick to point this out, that some of the names that were not necessarily leaked, but at least bandied about, were football guys like Oliver Locke, who once upon a time was a quarterback at West Virginia, very good quarterback, if you're old enough to remember that far back. He was kind of an RPO quarterback before that was a thing. And, of course, Gene Smith, another famous football player, were both football guys. And one of the criticisms of Larry Scott was he was not a football guy. So that certainly gave those naysayers an opportunity right off the bat to say, what the hell is a Pac-12 doing? They basically came up with another Larry Scott. But at the same time, they're thinking that, you know, Klyovkov is kind of the anti-Larry Scott, you know, in terms of personality, in terms of ability to interact with people. And at least for most accounts, he, he won the press conference, which, again, many a fired coach won their initial press conference. So... Probably not. We probably can't discern or learn too much from that. He said the right things. He also, at least to give him some credit, he said he didn't know some things, 
which is hard for someone of that history of success and ego, of course, you can't get to that level of success without an ego, being able to say, I don't know, when other people might have just kind of pretended that they knew and who knows what they would have said, or they would have said something that they would have had to backtrack later. So at least, you know, the first day he won the press conference, that would be a fair statement. Yeah. I mean, there were those who thought his kind of, and I thought it was unfair, his offhand comment about he spoke, you know, they asked about women's basketball. He gave a quite lengthy answer about how important he thought women's basketball was, how much he enjoyed women's basketball, how he thought it could contribute very much. But at the end, he said, but we know where the money comes from. Yes. Um, there were those who, for some reason, took that badly. I think most of that was taking it out of context to think that this guy doesn't care about women's basketball when he was on the board of directors of the WNBA seems uh, a triumph of soundbite over actual experience. Yes. Otherwise, as opposed to the ever imperious Larry Scott, who uh, knew everything on every subject, just ask him. Klyovkov did seem willing to step into the job and learn. And listen, that uh, the idea that he's going to go on a listening tour Mm -hmm. um, to all the campuses, some of the criticism about, you know, the CEOs, the chancellors, the presidents doing the hiring that, again, the ADs were not included in the process. And again, you talked about how nothing was leaked and it's only a secret until you tell somebody type of thing that um, they did a very good job of keeping their four month search very much to themselves. But at least initially, everyone is you know singing the same tune in the choir and everyone's singing the, the praises. And that goes to the University of Colorado as well. CU's Chancellor, Phil DeStefano. Now you see, I got Klyovkov right and I, I stumble over... <laughs> To Stefano said that, you know, we interviewed some great candidates with different backgrounds. George was my number one candidate. I was just thrilled they accepted the position. I look forward to working with them and the other presidents and chancellors do as well. Rick George, CU's athletic director. I think he's going to be a great hire for us. He does know the Pac-12 issues. Then what they're, what's important, he's got a great experience. He's been executive. I think he's going to do great things for the conference. Now, yeah, you wouldn't if, if they said anything other than that, you'd be shocked, surprised, and pretty scared. But it is nice to at least hear those words coming from uh, the University of Colorado power base. And yeah, I think that when he said, you know, the Oregon president who was part of the executive committee that hired him said, you know, he's one of those that listens and he what, he what he doesn't know, he says he doesn't know. And hopefully, from that perspective, at least the, the Pac-12 is all rowing in the same direction, at least to start. Well, and, you know, the president of Oregon, uh, Phil DeStefano, the chancellor at CU Boulder, those are people with a good reputation for understanding the importance of sport on campus. And DeStefano was on the search committee. And so if I hate to, you know, you've got to put your trust in somebody, but if the guy who can continually talk Phil Knight out of whatever amount of money Phil wants to give at Oregon to support the f sports programs and Phil DeStefano, who has, 
in many ways helped at least the CU football team recover its reputation if it's not its winning ways. Both say this is a guy, then there is reason to at least pause and think that maybe this is the guy. Yes. Well, I want to read you some of the pundits, uh, some of the quotes <laughs> from around the country and you know, get your thumbs up or thumbs down. Pete Thamel, who currently works for uh, Yahoo, it's fair to say that the Pac-12 CEOs took a significant risk in hiring them. It's so stunning that they didn't make a more conventional and safe hire. And we kind of talked about that, that you've got to think outside the box at this point. And Pac-12 money-wise is fairly close to the ACC and, and Big 12, but that's just going to get worse and worse. And of course, the Big 10 and the SEC are light years ahead. When you've got Vanderbilt getting $20 million more per year for media rights, you get Rutgers getting $20 million more per year in media rights. It's not going to be too long before the, the PAC 12 is, is irrelevant. So it's not a conventional hire. It's not a safe hire, but maybe CU has to think a little, or not CU, but the PAC 12 as a whole needs to think outside the box a little bit. Well, I mean, the short version is when, when you're down in the fourth quarter, you don't always rely on your running game. Sometimes you have to throw the damn ball. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I disagree that Klyovkov is, you know, he's not a Hail Mary. The Pac-12 had two problems. One, we're not winning enough. Two, we're not earning enough. And yeah. those are, of course, interrelated problems. <laughs> The idea that you were going to find the one person that could fix both of those probably wasn't going to happen. If you want more money, it has to come from media, right? Yeah. You're not going to build bigger stadium. And if what the president said was, listen, we can get the top guy in media and then fill in around him on the sports, I don't find that to be such an outrageous idea. And shockingly, the fact that sports writers... <laughs> who are known as an innovative, thoughtful, forward-looking group of human beings are very disappointed that Oliver Luck, who played football during the single-wing era, was not picked, does not shock me. <laughs> <laughs> so you would take umbrage with Sports Illustrated's Pat Forty, who opined, and I quote, the Pac-12 conference didn't just go outside the box in hiring its new commissioner. It essentially left the solar system. Now, that's good for sound bites, but doesn't really say anything. Um, he did say it had a boom or bust quality about it. And to an extent, like you say, it's the fourth quarter, you're behind, you got to throw the ball. As Woody Hayes would say, there, you know, when you throw the ball, there's three things that can happen, and two of them are bad. Mm -hmm. So, you're, yes, it's a boom or bust kind of thing, but the Pac-12 can't do any worse. No. And you know, at we, least the decade of wandering the desert with Larry Scott has come to a close. And it came to a close before the next media rights deal was done. And Larry pushed us into another box that we couldn't climb out of. Yeah. And, and yes, is it boom or bust? Again, I don't think so. I think it is capable for Klyovkov to, to negotiate the next contract and do well enough to start us moving forward. You know, yes, Woody Hayes said that when you throw the ball, two, three things can happen and two are bad. Nobody would hire Woody Hayes in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, you know, they, they're, they're hiring run and shoots and that kind of thing. Do we need a sports person, probably a football guy in the commissioner's office to make some of the football decisions, to make some of the decisions about rule changes and that kind of stuff? Yeah, almost certainly. And it would be nice if that person had enough credibility to look Chip Kelly or David Shaw in the eye and say, no, you're wrong here. But that is not any longer the job of the commissioner. Right. And as much as we debate the quality and quantity of what John Wilner has to say at the San Jose Mercury News, he basically said that Kleofkoff's next move is the most important one. It's, you know, who he puts around him. If he hires the right people, and that would include a football guy or football gal that speaks that language, that would certainly play to what's necessary for the Pac-12 and hopefully the next media deal. But again, there's only so many dollars out there that, you know, with ESPN's contracts with SEC, with the ACC, you've got a lot of other things going on the Big Ten. It's hard to have the big noon on Fox when it's 9 a.m. in Pacific time. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's some limitations that are going to be there. And we're going to talk a little bit about the USC rising above it all to save the Pac-12 from itself. Just want to get a couple other quotes in here. And USA Today's Dan Wolken did agree with you. In one sense, he said that Klyavkov actually has the ideal background for what a college commissioner should be in 2021. He's been a chief executive of massive events business, deeply involved in digital media. And basically, he also liked the press conference that had been you know, the guy basically came in and said, remember the guy that you complained about until you finally ran him out of town? I'm here to do the opposite. And if nothing else, he, you know, if he's the anti-Larry, then we'll run with that. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, the union between commissioner and conference is at least untraditional, talking about the fact that it was not something that was expected. And then he talked about going on the listening tour And if that doesn't work out, if he doesn't listen, he doesn't understand what the 80s are talking about, then he could be, of course, the next Larry Scott. And then the athletics, Stuart Mandel, who likes to write in hyperbole. um, And speaking of hyperbole, you know, nothing against him. I listen to his podcast every week, um, the Audible, you know, for the athletic and stuff. So not saying he's a bad guy. He certainly knows his stuff, but he does like to – talk a little bit about, you know, this is the Las Vegas comedy show. I won't do the whole thing, but despite having never worked a day in the industry, the man appears to understand exactly what the Pac-12 needs right now. But of course, Klyavkov can't speak these things into existence. And I think nobody's going to disagree with that statement. It's one thing to say, hey, wouldn't it be great if the next media rights deal included an extra $20 million per school per year? Then what we're getting right now, instead of getting 32 million Colorado and other schools in the back 12, we'd be getting, you know, 50 to 55 million. Everybody gets that, but it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually go out and make it happen. So transitioning there just to kind of talk about, obviously, the biggest thing is going to be the media rights deal. And if nothing else, at least... It seems like from his background, Klyavkov would be, and like you say, an ideal guy to have in the room. 
And hopefully that will net something for the Pac-12 in the next couple of years. Well, we, we rapidly realized that Larry Scott, when he walked in that room with the media people, you know, it's the old joke about if you're sitting at the poker table and you can't tell which one is the sucker, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Larry Scott always walked in the room and wondered how come he couldn't spot the sucker. Um, <laughs> you know, Klevkov knows the guys. He knows the room. He knows the words. The next commissioner to negotiate the next contract has to figure out what what the value add is, what the Pac-12 can bring to whatever the partners media partner is going to be that makes it worth dumping that extra $20 million on. And maybe it's his familiarity with digital rights right. and streaming. Maybe it is, and shh, don't talk about it, his familiarity with the betting, which, you know, we have gone from, oh, my God, people bet on sports to, oh, my God, I can bet on sports. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see how we can monetize that for our league. Right. Yes. And so and understanding, I think, name, image, image and likeness and how you use that to generate funds for the schools and for the players. So, I mean, the bottom line is Klievkov knows stuff that very few people know. And if that is what's necessary to get that money, then the fact that he may not be, you know, a fine, know all the ins and outs of, you know, cover two uh, probably is a small price to pay. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree that, again, if he hires the right people around him that do understand those things, he's not going to have his best friend be in charge of officiating or things along those lines that he hires the right people <laughs> and, you know, can get the PAC 12. I don't know, Los Angeles in Los Angeles, you can't get the PAC 12 network. That seems to be a problem. And well, one that Larry Scott never acknowledged even existed, even to be a problem, but you know, and as the spring sports are winding down, we know the PAC 12 is adding more national championships in beach volleyball and rowing and things of those ilk. So the conference of champions is continuing to be the conference of champions, but in sports, which nobody likes, uh, not necessarily likes, but nobody watches. Let me put it that way. And I didn't know if you saw, there was a rant. It was a, it was the Arizona state softball coach Mm -hmm. talking about the seating for the NCAA tournament, basically taking the PAC 12 to task for, not being able to have anybody watch their teams play and the this team's being seated lower as a result of the fact that nobody could watch their teams play. Yeah. Having nothing to do with quality of performance, but having everything to do with quality of television matchup. Yeah. So again, and with the new name, image, and likeness, it was reported this week that Congress and the NCAA and everyone that's known this is coming for however long they've known it's coming, still can't get their act together before all hell breaks loose July 1st when some of these state laws go into effect. I am guessing that one of our summer podcasts is going to be devoted to name, image, or likeness. So we'll we'll let that go for now until some of the dust settles on that a little bit. But 
hopefully the University of Colorado will not be left behind and hopefully our new PAC-12 commissioner will have some insights in how that make that work better for the PAC-12 than it does for the conferences. So we're not getting recruits that don't want to come to our schools because we are behind the eight ball in yet another venue. One thing he did talk about very strongly, not didn't mince his words, was talking about expanding the playoff, the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. And again, most people would agree that that's coming, whether it's 6, 8, 10, 12, 16, who knows how many teams are going to be playing. He didn't mince his words about his position and even said, well, I'm not going to be taking the job until July 1st, but there's going to be some meetings in June. And I just want everybody to know in case anybody wants to call me and ask, you know, I'm in favor of expanding the college football playoff, which again would benefit the PAC 12 who tends to be shut out having only two teams even participate in the college football playoff since it began. Well, I mean, let's be honest, expanding the playoffs benefits everybody not named Ohio state, Alabama or Clemson or perhaps Georgia. But it it doesn't just benefit the Pac-12. It benefits every one of the Power Five. And it will ergo then happen. And, you know, (laughs) perhaps some amount of money will have to be drizzled upon Nick Saban so that he can, I don't know, gold plate his desk. (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm not sure it isn't gold plated already. but, (laughs) But, I mean, this, again, this is... It has been too slow because shockingly college football is never going to do the right thing immediately, but it it will happen. And so the question will become how it happens and how big it is. And for a few minutes, somebody will pretend to care about the academic career of college football players. And so some accommodations may be made about that. But the good news is by hiring this commissioner, it is absolutely clear that the Pac-12 presidents, I suspect all 12 of them, made it clear that they are in support of expanding the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And where there is money, it's like water in a in the side and cracks in the sidewalk. That you know it'll it'll find the cracks. And if there's money to be made in a college football playoff expansion, there will be a college football playoff expansion. And no, I I have no problem with watching. A Houston or a Cincinnati, yeah, they might lose by 20 to an Alabama or a Clemson, but they at least get to play. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to tell me that people aren't going to watch. And you're not going to tell me that if you do, say, you know, maybe the eight-team playoff, which seems to be one of the popular ideas that five power five conferences get in, at least one G5 gets in and two wild cards, that if you have the first round on campus sites, and you've got a Houston traveling to Clemson, or you've got a Cincinnati going to Oregon, or something along those lines that people aren't going to watch. That will be must-see TV. And if that means we have eight conference games universally and three non-conference, go back to 11-game schedules, everybody has an extra week for that playoff week. Haven't really heard anything. Actually got more players sitting at home you got more players resting than missing school. So you can have a playoff and actually have a net gain of uh, students studying their books for finals. If that's the, the road you want to take. So it's coming. And 
We'll just have to see what our new PAC 12 commissioner can do for us. But before we leave, there's a couple of um, fun things I wanted to talk to you about and the college football playoff expansion is kind of a good segue. And the only reason I bring this up is because it was posted on one of the message boards and I posted on the See What the Game website and it was also on the other message board. I'm talking about 247 and Rivals and it won't go away. People have just gone nuts over this. And I'll post this, a link to this on the website again. College Football News last week came out with an article about what schools the Pac-12 should target in case of expansion. And I'll run down from 10 to 1 their list, and then we can discuss the various merits of the the teams and the whole concept of the Pac-12 expansion. The number 10 team they had was BYU. Number nine, Boise State. Eight, Fresno State. Seven, Nevada. Six, Texas Tech. Five, UNLV. Four, Oklahoma State. Three, San Diego State. Two, Kansas. And number one was Oklahoma. So when we're talking about expansion, anytime you're mentioning anything with a group of five school, there's two very good reasons why that's never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. So... Before we just throw it out the window, hypothetically, let's say that we are expanding four teams and we're looking at the group of five schools, that BYU is kind of a hybrid in there somewhere, group of five schools that are being bandied about what to you would be an interesting target for the Pac-12 out of those Western schools that were being mentioned. Huh. We're not going to Idaho. <laughs> I mean, I hate, I hate to say that the, and the it, Smurf turf. You don't want to go play a game. With well, it, it, it's closer it to me. I'm not boy. The Boise television network television market is what we're really aiming for here. Hey, the, um, the Pullman Boise rivalry. Yeah. Oh, you can't see it. No. I mean, <laughs> I understand. I can at least understand the attraction of BYU um, as hard as that is to address. But they're not going to do it. Again, Fresno, UNLV makes the most sense. BYU probably makes the most sense from a television contract. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're interested. So, you know, the group of five, that begins to get a bit strange. I just don't see how <sighs> the argument the article makes for San Diego State is perhaps the best one. I mean, that's, it's, it's a solid basketball school. It's in a good location. It's got at least a media market that is not laughable. So, you know, I guess if we looked at that and could find a way to do that, I'd be fascinated to see how they do that. The location's not bad. So of the, the least unusual of those is probably San Diego State. But I don't see how we're going to cobble together four group of five yeah, schools to make that work. Yeah, no. If the if if the Pac-12 was in isolation and wanted to go to sixteen teams, they added four teams. You can do some interesting combinations there, like with BYU and Boise State, and like you say, matching up the rivalry with Utah, San Diego State, and then you, Fresno State, Nevada. Not getting you very far, but it would be interesting. You know that Colorado would probably get bumped. We're not going to have the Utah rivalry because we're going to have BYU be the rival. Maybe we end up with Boise State as our traveling partner. Um, 
Or you could add both the Nevada schools, UNLV and Nevada Reno. But yeah, and San Diego State, I don't know. Yes, it's a it's a larger media market to add, but how many rabid college football fans are there in San Diego that aren't already USC, UCLA, or Alabama fans for that matter? You're not really bringing that rabid San Diego State Aztec fan base, you know, to the table. And yeah, that's one reason. Yeah, obviously, because you're not adding anything. If you're going to add one quarter, 25% more teams, then you got to have at least 25% more revenue. That mm-hmm. would be some logical reason for expanding. And there's no way that that's going to happen. The second reason it's not going to happen is because the presidents are very proud of their AAU memberships and research money and things like that, that these group of five schools just are not going to bring to the table. You know, that was one of the things that CU was very attractive to the Pac-10 because of its academics and how it fit in with the, the Stanfords and the Cows of the world that they really wanted to have CU it really was a good fit. And, you know, if you look at it from anything besides geography, yes, Colorado was, was always a much better fit for the pack eight, 10, 12, than it was for the big eight, 10, 12. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the big 12 schools playing in a 10 team conference, um, now you get the interesting stuff about the whole idea of having the mega conferences and, having four 16-team conferences. And now you're talking expansion of the Pac-16 as being part of a realistic future, I think. And the logical way to do that, you're going to have to carve up the Big 12. And it's yeah, the, the, the sacrificial lamb. Because it's the smallest conference, and you can send them off in different geographical directions with the least amount of stress. You're not going to put... USC and the SEC, you know, it just isn't going to happen. You're not going to have the CU or the USC soccer team playing Florida State as a conference game. It just doesn't work that way. So now this is, of course, when you have Maryland playing Minnesota in the Big Ten and Rutgers playing, you know, Nebraska in that world. And, of course, West Virginia traveling to Lubbock to play Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. So in the world where... We're divvying up the Big 12. Okay, so let's say the, the minds all agree, the powers that be all get together. There's going to be an SEC 16, ACC 16, Big 10 16, 16, and then the PAC 16. Do you have any favorite four for how you see that finally playing out? Would it be back to getting Texas and Oklahoma, or would the PAC 16 end up with the Kansas and Kansas states of the world. Well, I'm not convinced and this article makes that argument that Oklahoma and Texas are tied at the hip. And, you know, I'd be kind of thrilled with the ABT theory, anybody, but Texas, um, you know, it, it, in a way it would make sense that we move. OU, OSU tech, and then pick your other school, probably Kansas into the Pac-12, they are at least, you know, somewhat consistent with that, you know, let the rest of the Texas schools, you know, I, would would a Texas legislator be extremely excited to put Texas back in the SEC so that they could play A&M again? 
I well, think there would be some or, pressure there. I think it'd be more about whether or not Alabama wants Texas to play in the SEC. And there, there is always that. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the, when you're div, 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 divvying up the Big Twelve, all ten of them, <laughs> you know, you end up with what do you do about the one powerhouse that is not a powerhouse in either major men's sports? You know, yeah, the Texas basketball team looked good until the tournament. Uh, so yeah i in a world could i imagine oklahoma and oklahoma state and then some combination of kansas texas tech baylor etc wandering over to the pac-12 yeah baylor going to la to play usc is a fascinating idea um yeah i mean that that seems to make the most sense we find the most westernmost schools um, the question is, can you separate Oklahoma and Texas? And I don't think that's as ridiculous an idea as has been perhaps thought in the past. No, I agree. Um, you know, no one thought that Texas and Texas A&M could be split. Mm-hmm. And Texas A&M found a way to leave. Now, for it to all work, there's going to have to be some meeting of the mind. I wish I could show the T-shirt to everyone. Anyone that was a fan of West Wing, I've got my... T-shirt here, Cartographers for Social Equality. If you're a West Wing fan, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, Maybe I'll find a link to something like that. But it was showing the map as it really was, as opposed to how it's been taught to us all the years. And it was hilarious West Wing episode. But there's going to have to be some geography meeting of the minds, okay, I understand that the Big Ten wants Rutgers and the New York media market. Rutgers is in New Jersey. That's on the Atlantic coast. I'm just throwing that out there. Maryland is on the Atlantic coast. You know, South Carolina is, I don't know, in the same state that Clemson is in. That they're going to have to be, West Virginia is, you know, thrown in with Penn State. You know, there's a rivalry there, certainly, um, but... Maybe it's a Big Ten, but or maybe you move Vanderbilt to the ACC because they'd rather play basketball anyway. So there would have to be some horse trading nationally for it to make any sense. You can't just take four schools from the Big 12 and say, okay, the other four are going to you know, mix and match and some are going to play Syracuse. And it's like, no, they're not. No. You know, Oklahoma State's not traveling to Syracuse. I mean, it's orange against orange, and it's just not a good look. Yeah, I mean, there's things, you know, Iowa State to the Big Ten. Duh. They've got Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Illinois right freaking there. So, I mean, yeah, there'd, there'd be some moves that would be just too logical not to make. But whether or not Texas would be welcome in the SEC, and I don't think they'd want them, not with already having that. The idea behind getting Texas A&M is they got Texas recruits. And, yes, they have to play a very good team. And we're going to find out Labor Day, well, not Labor Day weekend, September 11th, how good Texas A&M is this year, top 10, maybe a top five team. But they didn't want to take Texas and Texas A&M. They just took Texas A&M so they could get Houston market and get all those Texas recruits. So can we steal away in Oklahoma or would Texas feel abandoned and want to say, okay, I'll go and dominate the West Coast. But again, I think, you know, the Pac-12 would have to be relevant again in order for that to actually take place. And it's probably at least a decade away 
before the mega conferences kick in and who the hell knows what's going to happen with Notre Dame. Because right now you got 64 teams plus Notre Dame. And if you're going to have 64 teams, you know, you're going to have somebody get relegated or you're going to have 64 teams and Notre Dame out there floating around as an independent that has its own TV contract like it does now and has its own methodology for getting into, you know, the college football playoff. I could see that happening, but, you know, again, that's a decade off. But back to my point about the Pac-12 being relevant leads to our final segment, which I just threw out because I thought it was humorous. (laughs) And it also generated some interesting comments. I'll also put a link to this on the website. Anybody that wants to read, this is came from Trojan's Wire. So, I mean, it's a USC site. And the headline was what caught me and made me read the article. So I'm just going to read the first couple of sentences here. This came out after the hiring of our new Pac-12 commissioner. George Klyavkov is an important person with an important job. The seat of power in the Pac-12 commissioner's office matters. Let's be clear about that. Yet, we can also say that as much as the Pac-12 needs George Klyavkov to be good at his job, Klyavkov is not more powerful than the USC Trojans. What does that mean? It means exactly what you think. Let's put the matter plainly so that no one is confused or misled. USC succeeding in football will do more to help the Pac-12 than anything George Klyavkov says or does. Now, how would you take that last sentence? Now, we've heard this on a similar vein from from John Wilner at the San Jose Mercury News, which is one of the most respected Pac-12 writers talking about for the Pac-12 to be relevant, USC football and UCLA basketball have to be national powers in order for the Pac-12 to be considered relevant on a national scale. So having seen the article from the Trojans Wire, would you agree with the concept that USC is more powerful and is more important than anything that the new Pac-12 commissioner can do? Well, no. (laughs) I mean, that said... The strength of the Pac-12 is that it, it part of it sits on the second biggest television market in the country. And I will not understate the importance of a team in that market drawing fans. That's just can't. To that extent, yes, of course it's important. If SC is competing for national championships, that will help the Pac-12. I am far from convinced that it is that vastly different than if Oregon is competing for national championships or Washington is competing for national championships. I was happy to see UCLA's run in the NCAA tournament. I do think that any team making a run for the Pac-12 is helpful. And again, I like the number two market in the country to be paying attention, but also remember that that market is as fragmented as any in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the, the old days of Reggie Bush and Matt Leinhart dominating every headline in Los Angeles and owning the media market, one should recall there was not a big interest in, say, professional football at that time, as opposed to now when there are not one but two, well, one and a half professional <laughs> football teams in Los Angeles 
and the Lakers and the Dodgers and everybody else. So I understand why a Trojan fan would make that argument. USC is not going to negotiate the next contract. And what it would have been nice if they competed for the national championship last year, as we lead into the negotiation of this contract, perhaps that doesn't make them more important. That does not make them the powerhouse that they wish they were. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you can say if we were competing for this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. If, but they're not. And yeah. that's the reality of it. Well, and Wilner wasn't reacting to this article, but actually said along the same lines, he had his little uh, message to the PAC 12 commissioner. And one of the things he, he talked about was how the big 10 commissioner had learned his lesson that yes, you go on your listening tours you listen to all the other schools and then you find out what Michigan and Ohio state want and you do that. Mm-hmm. And the inference was that, yes, you go on your listening tour, Mr. Klyovkov, you listen to all the other schools and then you find out what USC wants and you do that. And you can make the argument and the article makes the argument that when USC was really good, you know, around 2005 in that era with Pete Carroll, that, there are other schools in the conference that rose up to meet that challenge and the conference was better, mm-hmm. but Washington's won a national championship. Yes. Does Oregon flashing its green literally have the same cachet as USC? Probably not, but US, UCLA won its national championship in the fifties, won its one Heisman trophy in the sixties. And yet, you know, the belief is that UCLA football somehow is necessary for the the lifeblood of the Pac-12. I think any Pac-12 team like a Colorado that nobody other than Colorado fan re- fans remember can be relevant and make the Pac-12 relevant. So I want to belabor the point. I just wanted to point out the article because I thought it was humorous. For those, it wasn't done in jest, but we will take it as such. So I'll let you and the listeners go at this point because we're running a little long this time, but it's always fun to get to talk with you. And we will talk again in June. We'll probably do a mailbag and we'll probably also have some name, image, and likeness and probably talk a little bit recruiting because there are official visits starting June 1st for the first time in a year. And Colorado has over 20 official visits scheduled. So there's going to be some new commitments. And hopefully we can start talking a little bit about the recruiting class of 2022. Sure. And perhaps the winnowing of the tight end position as well. (laughs) Well, there will probably be a few more (laughs) transfers out in the transfer portal. And we can talk about how whether or not CU is winning the transfer portal battle and I think both of us, at least to this point, think that is actually a true statement. So well to everyone in the family, and we will talk again soon. Go Buffs. Thank you for listening. Brad and I will be looking to post two podcasts per month during the summer before returning to weekly podcasts throughout the fall campaign. We are always up for mailbag questions. So if you have any questions about your Buffs or the Pac-12, Feel free to send me an email at cu@thegame@gmail.com at gmail.com anytime.
Summer camps are returning to the college football scene in June, which means official visits and new commitments for the CU recruiting class of 2022. There will also be maneuvering nationally and locally as the name, image, and likeness debate, which has raged on for years, will turn into a frenzied reality on July 1st. We just hit the 100-day mark before the Buffs take on Northern Colorado on September 3rd. I hope you'll join me here on the podcast and daily on the website as we count down the days to the start of the 2021 season. Until we talk again, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.